This is a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs during our summer meeting in San Diego, California, June 2017. All right. Thank you very much. We're going to be talking today about lasers and light therapies for anti-aging enhancement and correction. The main thing about lasers and why they daunt people is I think a lot of the time people don't know exactly what lasers do, what parameters there are, and I think I'm going to be talking about some of the basics and then try to apply them to the clinicals. So I'm in private practice in Studio City. Um, I do attend at UCLA, but I use a lot of um, mid-levels, and I love PAs, and I think that um, it's great to be here and you know, see all of you and, and uh, let you know that you're valued, a valued part of our practice. There are lots of laser applications in dermatology, I mean, including psoriasis, um, including photofacials, which we all know about, but there's some other things. You know, there's psoriasis, there's um, vitiligo, there's acne, there's all kinds of things that we can do with lasers, and it all has to do with targeting. So our goals today are going to be to achieve a comprehensive breakdown of lasers and light therapies that are used for the skin, and we're going to achieve a cosmetic improvement on sun-damaged skin pigmentation. Um, and, and we're going to try to understand the wavelengths and their targets from hemoglobin to fat. And we're going to talk about wavelengths of absorption and spectra and stuff like that. So my mentor, Rox Anderson, um, was actually the coiner of the term selective phototherm-lysis. And phototherm-lysis is essentially the right wavelength the right pulse duration, the right target, and sufficient energy to achieve localized heating and to target a certain chromophore in the skin. And this is really important. This is the key to laser treatment. And in my own practice, I always emphasize it to everybody I train that we always have to think about what we're treating first and, and what the parameters are. Because a fool with a tool is still just a fool. We've got a lot of tools. We have about 15 lasers in our practice, but if we don't use them right, we're going to have problems. All right, so let's talk about some of the terminology. Uh, first of all, the power. The power is usually expressed in joules per centimeter square and is the rate of energy which is emitted from the laser. A pulse is basically a burst of laser light. And the shorter the pulse duration, the, the greater sort of the input of power all at once into the chromophore. So for example, if you have a short pulse duration with a millisecond pulse versus a picosecond pulse, the millisecond is going to break up a boulder into little rocks, and the picosecond is going to break up the boulder into basically sand. It's going to destroy the boulder. The power density is the rate at which energy is delivered per unit area. The thermal relaxation time isn't just uh, you know, your, your vacation in Hawaii. It's also the uh, time required for dissipation of 63% of heat gained by a tissue, any tissue, during irradiation. So this is really a very key, important thing because thermal relaxation time differs from tissue to tissue. That means, for example, we have certain tissues like the epidermal tissues that can heat up and cool off quickly, but then we have 
other tissues like deeper structures, for example, veins, arteries, that, that heat up but cool off slowly. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to heat up the structures that we need to heat up slowly over time by pulsing and then allowing the heat to dissipate, but at the same time not affecting structures we do not want to affect, like the epidermis. In this case, we're treating, for example, a vein, and the epidermis is still kept to a cool level so we don't burn the skin, and at the same time, we're still below a pain threshold. So this is the key, really, to um, laser treatment. There are some daunting sort of curves here. Um, not too complicated when you start to kind of break it down. This is basically the absorption spectra of the different targets we have in the skin. So we have melanin, first and foremost. This is the thing we have to be aware of because our darker patients are going to burn if we do too much to them. Um, and then we have the, the spectrum of oxyhemoglobin. So that would be red things, veins. And then we have the spectrum of water. And water is just general skin. Skin is about 70% water. So when we're doing resurfacing, there's a lot of absorption into water. So for example, in this case, a laser like uh, pulse dye laser has a good absorption into oxyhemoglobin, but we can see that the melanin absorption is much lower. But a laser like KTP, which has an excellent absorption, a peak into um, oxyhemoglobin, so veins, has a higher absorption into melanin, so we have to be careful with darker patients when using this laser. We can burn people. This is an even more daunting uh, curve, but if we break it down, again, not that hard. Uh, we're talking about transparency here. So this is transparency in general of the skin. And the lower this curve goes, the greater the laser can penetrate into the skin. And you can see here, as the wavelength goes down, or goes up, sorry, then there's greater penetration to a point, at which point the penetration becomes um, lower, so then, then the lasers don't penetrate as well. So what happens here is you have a laser like, let's say you have um, hair removal. So how are we gonna choose a hair removal laser? Let's look at alexandrite. Alexandrite targets melanin really well, and it has a good penetration into the skin. But when we look at diode, the penetration is actually deeper into the skin, so we can affect deeper structures like hair follicles. At the same time, we're not hitting a lot of other structures, so this is an excellent laser for hair removal. We have other things, like we have a KTP laser once again. What's the problem with KTP? The absorption is not that great. So that means we can treat superficial vessels, but we can't treat deeper vessels. For the deeper vessels, we have to go to pulse dye lasers because the absorption is, the uh, penetration is deeper into the skin. Okay, so this is another way of looking at laser depth of penetration. Here we have eczema laser. Uh, this is actually erbium YAG. So erbium YAG, why doesn't it penetrate? It has a long wavelength, but why doesn't it penetrate deeply into the skin? Because of water absorption. Because literally the water absorbs and prevents penetration. And CO2 is the same way. So CO2, erbium are used for laser resurfacing. Just a show of hands, anybody here doing laser resurfacing in general? Okay, and how many people are doing photofacials? 
Okay, so we'll talk uh, on a more basic level about some of this stuff and um, how to keep you guys out of trouble. Okay, so starting from sort of argon KTP, we can see that the, the depth of penetration increases with um, increased wavelength. For example, Alex doesn't go as deep as diode. And that's why diode is an excellent laser, Alexandrite too, but diode is an excellent laser for hair removal. NDEG also, but NDEG doesn't have the absorbance into melanin as well as diode does. And once again, another way of looking at depth of penetration with different modalities. We can see that there's ultrasound. Ultrasound can actually penetrate quite deeply into the skin, almost to the muscle. And muscle is the layer at which we can do surgical facelifts, so we can get a lifting effect with ultrasound. Um, and then lasers, like resurfacing lasers, penetrate into the dermis. And then radio frequency can penetrate into the dermis, uh, especially reticular dermis, but not deeper than that. And we can see the structures now in the skin that we're trying to target. Um, here we have IPL, and I'm gonna talk about IPL. It's a special case. It's not actually a true laser. It's wide spectrum, and for that reason, um, we can do a lot of things with it that we can't do with regular lasers. Regular lasers are one single coherent wavelength, and we can see that, again, there's depth of penetration increases as we go up on the wavelength, and uh, let's target, let's say, the hair follicle. If we target the hair follicle, then Alex laser diode is targeting the bulb where we need to be for hair removal. Um, things like pulse dye laser, we can hit the blood vessels. Erbium glass, we can do epidermal damage, and therefore we can do some resurfacing with that. Okay, so let's talk about the photofacial. You know, the photofacial is probably the most often done procedure for lasers in the United States, perhaps the world. Um, we have to understand it, we have to understand the parameters and how to achieve excellent results with it. So um, we have to review things like parameters. Let's start with that. So which parameters are most important when we target the heating of the desired chromophore without damaging surrounding structures? So this is your question. skin type, wavelength, pulse duration, or thermal relaxation time. Okay, so in this case, it would be thermal relaxation time. It's not just the time you need to go to Hawaii, but also the uh, thermal relaxation time has to do with targeting the tissue and not heating up surrounding tissues. So that's the key here. Let's say we're trying to target a vein or an artery, then we're trying to heat that structure without heating the surrounding skin. So thermal relaxation time is the most important parameter in targeting the heating of the desired chromophore. All right, so the first question in photofacials, who am I treating? Well, first, you have to type the patient. What type of skin do they have? And type of skin does not necessarily correspond to color of the skin. For example, you could have type 2 skin um, in someone who appears to be darker or vice versa. Maybe someone looks white, 
But if they tan easily, perhaps they have some Cherokee in them or something. And if we don't recognize that, we can really hurt the patient. The second question is, what exactly am I treating? So there is a number of targets that we have in the skin when we're treating for photofacials. We have vascular lesions we can treat, pigmented lesions. Uh, we have to think about depth of lesion, superficial or deep. So for example, melasma can be deep. And superficial lesions, like lentigines, can be more superficial. So we have, to, we have to vary the parameters depending on that. We have to ask ourselves what the targets are. And we have to ask about the texture of the skin. So here is a pretty um, interesting outcome. And it's one of your questions. Which factor did not contribute to this outcome after an IPL procedure? Skin type, too much sun exposure by the patient, prior to treatment, incorrect cutoff filter selection, or excessive overlap? Excellent. Yes, there was no overlap in that one. And so I could imagine that the patient probably uh, called the office and said, uh, I have these stripes that are all over my chest, and they're really painful. What do I do, doctor? It's true that all the other things contributed to the outcome. So we have to ask the patient, have you had sun recently? This is the key to the photofacial. Two weeks prior, sun, sun exposure two weeks prior to the photofacial is really key. So let's talk about the cutoff filters. When we talk about IPL, IPL is a wide-spectrum device. It's a flash lamp. And it's a unique device which was invented in Israel in um, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so we're using cutoff filters. And these cutoff filters here, basically the number of the cutoff filter, for example, if we go to 560, it cuts off any energy or it cuts off any light below the 560. So it's 560 and above. So in this case, five, so the spectrum is 560 plus. And if we go, let's say, to 640, the spectrum is 640 plus. Everything else is cut off below. This is important because patients who are darker need higher filters in order not to absorb as much melanin. We already saw that on the melanin absorption curve. So we can treat a really light patient with 560, but we can't treat a dark patient with 560. We have to go to a higher setting. 640 is more safe. Okay, so I'm going to talk about filter So filter this is selection. the M22, the Luminous M22, which is an IPL machine. And here we have the settings that I'm going to use. Okay, in this case, I'm going to use skin type three. I'm being on the conservative side. Age possible injectasias, and we'll go medium. So it gives us, a, essentially it gives us um, the jewels that we're going to need. So that's the fluence. And it tells us this is going to be a double uh, pulse. We can do triple that's pulsing if we want to, or time. single pulsing. In this case, we're doing double pulsing. We're going to decrease the fluence a couple of joules, and we're going to start.
Okay, so we double pulse because of the thermal relaxation time, because we want the chromophore to absorb the heat, but not too much heat to prevent overheating. And we can do triple pulsing. For example, for melasma, we can triple pulse, which means that we can get the same energy into the melasma, but at the same time, we're not overheating the skin. Um, that means that we're not going to get the side effects of increasing melasma intensity with photofacials, which are often seen. It still can happen, but we can minimize that side effect. Okay, so what's the protocol? Well, we have to first photograph, first and foremost. I kill people for not photographing. It's really important. Because the patient can always say, oh, I didn't have this before, but they did. Uh, the second thing is numbing. Patients like to be comfortable. I don't know why. This, the third thing is <laughs> apply the gel. A uh, thin layer, but not too thin. The gel serves to be a coupler and at the same time a cooler of the skin. We have to choose the parameters, like I said, based on the target that we're treating and based on skin type. We have to stay parallel to the skin at all times. I usually like to overlap about 10 to 15%. Um, some machines have frames, so we have to account for the frame, um, so we can add a little bit more overlap. Um, we wipe it off in a gentle motion using tongue depressor, and I always apply hydrocortisone afterwards for patient comfort, and also I think that it decreases inflammation, and inflammation can oftentimes have negative side effects. So this is us putting on the gel. Nice and even, using a tongue depressor. Okay, what the gel does is it cools the skin and it, it really is contact cooling uh, for the IPS and the skin. So what can go wrong? I've seen this in my office, uh, most of the time not for me. But um, yeah, and there were, there were some you know, legal cases that I've seen uh, come my way that have to do with bad IPL. Too much or not enough overlap, wrong settings, resulting in hypopigmentation, um, striping, really bad burning, uh, worsening of melasma and other problems. So this is a serious technique, even though it's widely used, we have to be really good at it and learn how to do it right. And again, what Dory said before was right. We can always um, add more power later, but we can't undo. All right, what are the causes of burns? Fluence, filter wavelength is too short. As we discussed, the shorter the wavelength, the greater absorption into melanin. So with uh, patients with higher skin types, three plus, we have to use higher wavelengths. Pulse duration is too short, so we get purpura. The pulse delay is too short, so that has to do with thermal relaxation time. And on a lot of IPLs, uh, the parameters are basically set depending on what we choose. We still have to look at the parameters and make sure that um, we have the right parameters. Insufficient quantity of gel, and of course, insufficient training. So how do we prevent complications? Well. When we're treating the patient, we have to always be aware. 
If the patient says, I'm really hot, that's a clue. Back off, decrease the power, allow a few minutes to just see what happens. If there's a welt that comes up or a blister, then you know, treat with topical steroid. So we reduce the jewels over prominent, prominent bony, uh, over bony prominences. As in this case, what happened here, we can see that over bony prominences, there's too much fluence. So we have to reduce the power. And also on the jawline, shin, nose, also on the forehead. We can always retreat. And we do see neocollagenesis in IPL, and patients have asked about that. Are my scars going to get better? Are my wrinkles going to get better? With multiple treatments, we do see it. Um, we can see here on the left, there's sort of disordered collagen bundles. There's thinning of the epidermis. And on the right, after the treatment, we can see an increased, more order orderly collagen and um, as well as elastin fibers. So the melanin effects are improved as well. We can see that there's a more even melanin distribution, and there's a decrease in sort of the bad melanin from uh, too much sun. So we can combine IPL with other lasers as well. I do that in my own practice. I oftentimes combine with PDL with 595 nanometers. We can combine with fractionated resurfacing, something called um, uh, photofractional resurfacing. We can combine with Q-switch in order to get rid of deeper lesions and also things like lentigines that don't go away with photofacials. So this is a good example of sort of Q-switch combined with IPL. She had had IPL in the past, but the Q-switch really got rid of a lot of these lentigines. And I mean, this is a sort of you know, obvious PDL patient with a port wine stain. This is eight treatments with um, Candela V-beam, and we can see a before and after and how nice that patient turned out. This is a patient of mine that really did well. Um, so we combine PDL. PDL is a real laser. <laughs> you know, it's a laser that treats vascular birthmarks, but it can also treat telangiectasias. It can treat redness. Okay, question for you. Port wine stains may be targeted with all of the following lasers except IPL, Erbium YAG, NDAG, Pulse Dye Laser. Excellent. Yes, Erbium YAG. Erbium YAG because it does not go through the skin. It's absorbed into, the, into water. So erbium yag does not penetrate deep enough to treat vascular lesions. It's used for resurfacing. So now we're going to talk about resurfacing. Ablative versus non-ablative resurfacing. Um, a lot of people don't really know the difference. I'm going to show you the difference, and I'm going to show you why it's important. So ablative resurfacing means actually vaporizing tissue. And we could do ablative resurfacing, total resurfacing, like it was done in the past. We could do superficial fractional ablative resurfacing. We could do sort of non-ablative resurfacing, which I'm going to go into, and ablative fractional. So fractional resurfacing is now almost de rigueur. Most people do not do ablative resurfacing with CO2 nowadays. Anybody ever do ablative CO2 resurfacing without, with, that's not fractional? 
No. Oh, you've done it. Have you done it recently? Once in a while. Okay. All right. So non-ablative resurfacing means that we're heating the tissue, but we are not vaporizing the tissue. That means that the tissue remains in the skin. That means that the tissue has heated up and stays. It's like a plug. Eventually, it's taken away by the body. But what's nice about this is that things like bacteria can't get through, so your chances of infection are much lower than with ablative. Ablative, though, is more aggressive. So this would be for lighter uh, ridities as opposed to ablative resurfacing. Ablative resurfacing. We could see these columns of ablation in the skin. And basically, it's vaporization. We have to be careful with things like infections with ablative resurfacing. And for my ablative resurfacing patients, I oftentimes and almost always prophylax with antibiotics to make sure that they don't get infections. All right, these are some results of non-ablative laser resurfacing. So we can do them on scars. We can, we can do these lasers on stretch marks. Patients always ask about stretch marks. And until recently, we really haven't had an answer for them. Now we can actually treat stretch marks. And I'm going to show some of my own patients in a couple of minutes. Um, other things like scarring, ridities, pigmentation. So it's an excellent laser with oftentimes little downtime. Here's some results for strii. We can see that before, very noticeable. And afterwards, we can still see the strii, but a lot less noticeable. This was done with Resurfix, which is a 1565 nanometer erbium glass laser. OK, here's um, an idea of what ablative fractional CO2 can do. So things like superficial resurfacing for um, lighter sun-damaged pigmentation, deep resurfacing for wrinkles and scars, and then we can combine the two. And we could also treat much, much deeper for deep scars. OK, so this is a patient that was done first with the deep CO2 resurfacing, then the, the superficial CO2 resurfacing. And with this patient, we actually combined PRP. Now, has anybody heard of PRP? Excellent. So yeah, PRP is kind of the new kid on the block. We take the blood, we spin it down, we concentrate the platelets, and then we can apply the, the plasma to the face or other areas for quicker healing. We do it by itself or in conjunction with lasers. So I'm going to show you what deep effects can look like. You can see the patient has eye shields. The patient is quite comfortable, an adequate level of anesthesia. Uh, we do blocks as well to make sure that anesthesia is good. And we don't overlap. Because every time you overlap, you increase the power to that region. OK, here's the active effects, which is the more superficial resurfacing. Oh. All right. There we go. OK, and you can see the wider spot size. You can see the vaporization of tissue. This is definitely not as painful because we're not drilling as deeply. 
patient is quite comfortable. You could already see from the deep effects, you could see the pinpoint bleeding because right. we're bleeding. Okay, now afterwards, we're going to apply the PRP. One centimeter intervals, one drop, and then just smooth it on. And this can increase healing by as many as two to three days. Patients are a lot more comfortable. Usually the healing time for this is about a week with a lot of swelling. And we've had good results with the PRP. Okay. And this is a good example of a lady, older lady who had total resurfacing, you know, total fractional resurfacing with total and deep effects. Um, and you can see the types of results we can get. Excellent results on the ridides. There is some tightening that we can see here. She was thrilled, she was very happy. I mean, she might need a few other things like fillers here, maybe here, but you know, she's really happy with this result. She looks a lot better. Okay, question for you. The following is not true about fractional ablative laser resurfacing when compared to fractional non-ablative resurfacing. Results in fewer bacterial infections, has more dramatic results for deep ridides, longer average recovery time, should be used with caution in darker skin types. Excellent. Excellent. So everybody got, almost everybody got that one. Excellent. Okay, so let's talk about the consultation with lasers. Um, I think the key is patient selection. We have to look and type their skin first and foremost, and then know what we're treating. Medical considerations, we have to ask about things like HIV, um, other immunosuppression, Ehlers-Danlos disease, you know, things like that. I have some patients with Ehlers-Danlos, and on those, the collagen is not gonna heal as well as on other patients. The patient expectation is really, really important. Some patients are just crazy, so we can't do anything for them. So we have to refer them to psychiatry. Uh, next, we design treatment plans based on individual patient characteristics. We understand the value of multimodality treatment as I described. So when we're doing IPL, we can do V-beam in conjunction, Q-switch laser, resurfacing, other things. Understanding the value of multimodality treatment approaches is very important. And then going beyond the face. And I have many patients that I've treated for chest, arms, hands. Patients love it when you treat their neck and, and other areas. I found that with legs, it's a little bit more difficult. So just treating legs is tough because the healing time is not as good. And in conclusion, don't be a fool. Use the right tool. Okay. Right. The overall performance of the speaker. I'd rather not know. How useful will this session be in your practice?
As a result of this program, do you intend to change your patient care? Okay, um, IPL. Myself, I perform IPL. Okay, um, okay, so IPL, I have PAs doing it, I have a nurse practitioner doing it, um, I have a registered nurse who does it under very close supervision with parameters that I have selected. So a number of, a number of people do it, and I train everybody really well to make sure that they understand what they're doing. That's the key. Go ahead. Are you in the state of California? Okay, so that's why. Because estheticians are not allowed to perform lasers in the state of California. So I'm in California, and we have to have at least an RN perform any laser procedures. Light-based procedures, other ones, can be performed, like blue light or something, can be performed by MAs or whoever. But for laser, it's RN or above. Okay, which lasers would you avoid in skin of color? I think the lasers which absorb best into melanin, like KTP, is a good example. I mean, when you talk about skin of color, you're talking about a spectrum. So um, skin of color includes everything from three to six. With IPL, I would definitely not treat a six ever, ever, ever. But, you know, I mean, a five is doable if we really can select parameters. PRP for... PRP for hair loss, that's another lecture, but we're starting. It's just in the nascent phases. We don't have a lot of information. It's a lot of, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. I've seen some evidence in my own patients of some improvement. Um, how much do we charge? I can't tell you that off the top. Hmm? Oh, okay. Can you go up a little bit? Okay, how do you manage, oh, IPL versus fractional laser. When would you use one over the other? I think they do different things. Um, you know, the IPL is really used for light collagen synthesis. It's used for pigmentation. It's used for redness. It can be used even for acne treatment when combined with things like like uh, PDT, but you know, resurfacing, I think more of ridities, I think more of lines, and I think more of acne scars and that type of thing. How, okay, so how do you manage any hyperpigmentation after laser? Hyperpigmentation, well, first and foremost, avoidance of the hyperpigmentation is important, but if it happens, we can use hydroquinone if the patient calls me the next day and says, I have a hot spot, I have a burn or whatever, then I kind of get on top of it. I start using a, maybe a mid-potency topical steroid. I tell them to use an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen. Um, if it's a severe blister, then I consider even some uh, medrol dose pack or something like that. And then, you know, um, hydroquinone is the way to treat a lot of these problems. 
Ethnicity, I think I already talked about. Uh, really dark patients for IPL are not the best candidates. For Asian or Native American or Hispanic patients prone to PIH, do you pretreat with hydroquinone? The answer is yes. Yes, especially for resurfacing, we do have them pretreat for about a month before, depending on who they are. But it does help, and then we, we treat after the initial healing time, we treat with um, hydroquinone as well. Keloiding after fractional laser, I have not seen myself. Vitiligo, yes, we can treat vitiligo with eczema laser. We treat with eczema for psoriasis and also vitiligo. Is it really successful for vitiligo? Primarily for the face. I would say for the face, it is magnificent. For other areas, it's more difficult, just like any treatment of vitiligo. The best candidates for ablative versus non-ablative. If we have deep ridides, if we have deep scarring, then ablative is the way to go. Um, also, if patients have some time. So we can oftentimes do multiple non-ablative treatments and achieve a result close to that of um, ablative laser. So we have to be really careful with patient selection. Um, in, just like Glynis, a lot of my patients are sort of entertainment folks and it's hard for them to have any downtime. So I tend not to do a lot of uh, blade of laser except during hiatus. Do you need a, a CLIA to do PRP in the office? Uh, I don't believe so, but I mean, we have it, but I don't believe so. Do you limit the use of hydroquinone? Three months, great question. There's, you know, there's sort of anecdotal talk about limiting the use of hydroquinone. I try. if I. If I can, I try to limit it and go to non-hydroquinone lighteners, if at all possible, after three to six months. Yes. Fillers and lasers. It depends on the filler. It depends on the laser. Um, how long do we wait? I mean, with some lasers, we can do it almost immediately, maybe a couple of weeks later, with, um, if, if you're talking about doing the fillers first. Or no, you're talking about fillers after lasers. Um, it depends on the laser. I mean, if the laser has a lot of inflammation, we wait several weeks to a month. If the laser has very little inflammation, like IPL, we can do fillers almost immediately. Yeah. Um, the question of, a lot of patients have the question, the question was uh, something like Voluma and how long do you wait until you do fractional? A lot of patients have the question, is my Voluma going to go away if I do fractional laser? So they're worried about laser going deep and making the Voluma go away faster. The answer is, if you look at all the stuff that I showed you, fractional laser probably does not go that deep. So Voluma is deeper than the fractional laser can go. So, um, you know, I could tell you that after doing Voluma, give it a couple of weeks, and then you could do the fractional laser. Treatment of strii and dark skin, the same thing applies. If they're really dark and we're, we're going to treat with a laser, expect hyperpigmentation. The same thing. All right, thank you very much. This has been a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs. 
recorded live during our summer 2017 meeting in San Diego, California.